That game between the Bears and the Vikings, where you just heard Ian Fitzsimmons take the Bears with his bet till you hands bleed advice earlier in this show, kicks off in a little more than 10 minutes from now. We'll keep you updated on all of the Monday night football action. Amber and Ian is presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can find him at Ian Fitz ESPN. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. So that is the game tonight. But let's talk about the game of the weekend. And no, I'm not talking about college. There was some of those as well, Ian. We will absolutely get to those in the 9 o'clock hour because, boy, did the college slate deliver during rivalry week. But so did the NFL slate in week 11 as well. The game of the weekend, maybe the game of the year in the NFL so far. The Buffalo Bills and the Philadelphia Eagles. The Bills almost got it done in Philly, but they fell short in overtime. The Eagles beat the Bills. 37 to 34. It was a hell of a game, Ian Fitzsimmons. How do you feel about Josh Allen right now? Because a lot of people are blaming him yet again for a Bills loss. Oh, my loss. God. It's, How are that's, you? Oh, my. Uh, no, for, first of all, I am a, a Josh Allen fan, and I say that as a Dolphins fan. Okay, so that is as objective as I can possibly be because I want to hate Josh Allen. I cannot hate Josh Allen. I think Josh Allen is great. I think he's in the top tier of quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, are the interceptions an issue? Yes, absolutely. They are part of the problem, and I get that he had a costly one in that game, but you also can't ignore what he did the rest of that game. There were moments that he looked like the best quarterback in the NFL during that game. So yes, it can be that the accuracy can sometimes be an issue because he takes risks that he doesn't otherwise need to take. And that risky football ends up costing you. And it costs them in that game. It's cost them all season long. It's also why they're even in these games to begin with. I mean, as bad as the Bills record is, they've lost six games by, I think, less than six points. These games are incredibly close that they do lose. This is another prime example of that. Josh Allen played his best butt off in that game. And I'm only saying butt instead of the A word because I'm cleaning it up for Disney. (laughs) I'll say it. He played his ass off. I mean, 29 of 51, 339 yards, two tuds. And that that pick, I'm going to give Bradbury full credit, not blame to Josh Allen. That was an outstanding play by a corner who who took a risk. So, and it was in a monsoon and they scored 34 Mm -hmm. points. I think that was Josh Allen's best game of the year. He ran for 81, threw for damn near 340. I mean, I thought he was sensational. But, you know, they, they controlled the clock. Time of possession was like 40 to 26, 40 minutes to, to Buffalo to 26 minutes and change to, to Philadelphia. Over 500 yards of total offense. And I'm listening, listening to people today blame Josh Allen for that L because of the pick Crazy to Bradbury. Talk. Stop. Crazy that, talk. That's, that's, that's Buffalo missing Matt Milano. And guys, I mean, and, and dudes that they have lost on the defensive side of the ball because the defense gave up that honey, not Josh Allen. Josh Allen and the offense had them in a position to win the game in Philly at one of the, against one of the best teams, if not the best team in the NFL. And it goes to overtime on a remarkable 59-yard kick into the breeze, you know, again, in a monsoon. I mean, come on. Give, I give full credit to Philly, but I am the last thing I'm doing is blaming Josh Allen. I am commending Josh Allen because I thought he played his best game of the year, and that is a 6-6 six and six squad that 
look, you look at their schedule, it's not going to be easy, but if they can find a way to get to 10 wins, that puts them in a position to be right there in the playoffs. And if they get into the playoffs as a wild card, be careful because that dude, if he continues to play like that, they're going to be a very tough out if they were if they're able to get in because right now they're sitting there what I think tenth in the in the in the playoff standings behind Denver. Denver is ahead right now of Buffalo, but uh, give Philadelphia full credit. Remarkable game. DeAndre Swift looked like he was back at Georgia, yep. uh, running back for the Eagles. But anybody blaming Josh Allen, you just don't know ball because that guy played his tail off. I'm with Which you, I- Amber. I've been waiting for that game from Swift, frankly. But yes, and, and, and both of these quarterbacks played their tails yeah. off. Both of these offenses in those conditions, the weather conditions, I think maybe the most remarkable component of all of this because Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts were out there airing it out like it was sunny and 75 degrees. <laughs> and it was a monsoon out there in Philadelphia and freezing. And they were able to get that done. The kicker, obviously, for the Eagles deserves all the credit in the world for that win as well. But it was such a hard-fought game. It was what any NFL fan would want to see who didn't have a stake in it. The thing is with this Bills team is they're sitting at 500 on the season. It's a very disappointing team that may not make the postseason because of where the expectations are, but also a couple bounces here and there. And this is a team that would be 10 and two. Like that's how close these games have been that the Bills have been in. The narrative coming off of that game, there's always a lot of criticism for Josh Allen. And again, I understand when we're talking about the interceptions, because yes, he's always an interception happy quarterback. But at the same time, the brilliance of what he did, and Jalen Hurts had an interception in that game as well. Josh Allen had an interception in that game. Both of those guys were I mean, brilliant. I, I Josh Allen, I think, Bradbury outplayed him. But, I mean, on, on, yeah. for the Eagles. I mean, I thought that was a remarkable play by a veteran corner. It was. I'm not going to put that on Josh Allen. Right. Yeah. So, you know, there's a difference between to me, Amber, a takeaway and a turnover. And I think that was a takeaway. Does that make sense? Yes. Where you're crediting the defense. Let's talk about defense more. And one of the things that happens when we're breaking down football is I think offense is easier for us, for us laymen, right? Offense, offense is essentially easier for us to see and easier for us to sort of understand. And so, it's sort of the lazy take to just go, oh, that's the quarterback. You know, that's the quarterback. It's kind of like the opposite of what we do when we talk about sacks in the NFL. And we don't put enough onus probably on the quarterback because sacks tend to be more of a quarterback stat than maybe people realize, right? Where we put maybe give too much credit sometimes to the D-lines and, 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 and obliterate the O-lines. And we're not realizing a lot of it also, which you're always constantly pointing out, is the quarterback holding on to the ball too long and that it's actually a knock against these quarterbacks. On the other foot, we tend to discredit these quarterbacks as uh, far too often when it comes to these picks and maybe not credit the secondary enough playing against them. So you're absolutely right. That was, that was a great defensive effort there by Philadelphia. And I want to give Joe Brady a hell of a lot of credit also, who was a quarterback's coach. Ken Dorsey gets fired as the OC in Buffalo. Joe Brady now elevated to, to signal caller, he was the offensive coordinator in 2019 with Joe Burrow and the LSU Bengal Tigers when they went undefeated and ran a gauntlet that I don't think we'll ever see duplicated in college football, where they beat their 15 wins, 10 came against top 20 teams. And Joe Brady was the, the, the offensive coordinator and play caller for that squad. Goes to Carolina with Matt Rule. Doesn't work. Now he's with Buffalo. 
gets elevated to play calling, and guess what? They ran the ball 31 times. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm taking away the nine carries by Josh Allen. I'm going just 31 designed run plays. You think you saw a difference? Mm-hmm. I did. Right? So Joe Brady now back calling plays. This is, I understand the schedule, but this is going to be a Bills team that's going to be a very difficult out for anybody that plays them as they now have their jaw locked trying to make a run in the dash for cash to the playoffs. But again, to your point, and I agree with you, I'm not blaming Josh Allen at all. I'm giving full credit to the Philadelphia Eagles. That's a 10-1 and squad. You know there are one losses too? How many people remember this? This is crazy. There are losses to Zach Wilson and the Zach New York Wilson Jets. And I remember Jets. it well. That's it. Actually. I mean, but don't worry. The Losing to the Jets, Jets Zach not Wilson embarrassing. Is the apparently. Only, unbelievable. I, I know. It's crazy that they get it done. The narrative there is, it kills me. James and I are That's always awful. arguing about this because I'm like, somehow the Eagles not embarrassing for losing Woo. to the Jets, but the Dolphins embarrassing for losing to the Eagles. Nonetheless, the Eagles to me, you just called them the best team in the NFL. I do not feel like that about this Eagles team at all. But every time I watch the Eagles, and I obviously needed them to win this game as a Dolphins fan, okay? So I'm happy that the Bills are multiple spots right now outside of the playoff picture in the AFC. But I watch this Eagles team, and every single week I'm watching them skate by. I don't think that they're the best team in the NFL. I know you know how much I like being right. I said that I thought the Eagles were going to be a little worse this season than last season because all the pieces that they were missing, their coordinators and whatever. And that darn record so far is not letting me be right. The record for this Eagles team is undeniable. And yet I watch these games and I keep constantly thinking they're in trouble. And then I I don't know what happens at the end. Somehow they keep pulling it out. Bill Parcells famously said it. Slightly. No, nope. I did not. No, nope. hold on. Hold on, Rachel. In week 11. All right. We got a lot of football left to play. Everybody calm down. Those Cowboys looking pretty good, by the way. Looking pretty good. All I'm going to say is, as Bill Parcells famously said, you are what your record says you are. And the record says Philadelphia is the best team in the National Football League at 10-1. and 1. Amber and Ian is presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive makes bundling easy and affordable. Get a multi-policy discount by combining your motorcycle, RV, boat, ATV, and more. All your protection in one place. Bundle and save at Progressive.com. Coming up next, let's talk about the other division, though. The Eagles squarely on top of the NFC, or the other conference, rather. The Eagles squarely on top of the NFC. What about the AFC? Who is the best team in the AFC? We'll get into that. ESPN Radio is also on the ESPN app. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. 
That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Yeah, football on our televisions. Monday Night Football has officially kicked off. Bears and Vikings. We're just about a minute in. So we will keep you updated when there is action in this game. Ian Fitzsimmons feeling a little nervous about his betting advice tonight. He was on the Bears. He was zigging when everybody else was zagging. Everybody else had their money on the Vikings minus three. And then they zigged. And then they all zigged. They all hurt. Well, because you told national, you told America, you told a national audience what to do. And they all listened here on Amber and Ann. My bloated butt is going to influence that many people. It went from around 70% of the public wagers on Minnesota to down to about 56%. No bueno. So I still love the under, right? <laughs> now uh, you're nervous. At, at round 43 and a half, bought it up to 44. Uh, but oh, we'll see. I mean, so uh, hopefully there were some people that, that came along for the ride and that was about it. But my gosh, I mean, I, I was a big switch in the last 30 minutes when it comes to wagering. So we will keep you updated on how right or wrong Ian's advice ends Ooh. up being here on Amber and Ian presented to you by Progressive Insurance. You can find him at Ian Fitz ESPN. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. Let's talk about the best team in the AFC, though, because I don't know if you saw what happened over the weekend in the AFC, Ian, but the McAfee show today did a great job outlining it. It's pretty hilarious that on Friday, the Dolphins beat the Jets, right? The Dolphins end up the one seed in the AFC. And then immediately after the one o'clock games on Sunday, and James is too bogged down right now watching Monday Night Raw to remind me, but at one point it was the Jags. At another point, it was the Chiefs. I think after the one o'clock games, it was the Jags then it was the Chiefs right after the four o'clock games and then by the night game last night it was the Ravens sitting in the one seed and the Ravens ended up being in the one seed and uh, I go back to Bill Parcells you are what your record says you are and I I would you know I'm I'm gonna go with the Baltimore Ravens especially when they're healthy when you get Mark Andrews back I mean that's and and what Zay Flowers did look going back to the draft Chris Canty and I were screaming if Baltimore gets Zay Flowers, when they came on the clock, wide receiver out of Boston College, watch the bleep out because this is going to be magnificent for, for Lamar Jackson. And now you're starting to see what Zay Flowers can do, rookie wide receiver. Outside of that grotesque touchdown celebration, the bouquet of flowers. That he, you know, I mean, did you see that, Amber, after his first yes, touchdown? Yes, I did, yes. Oh, horrendous. <laughs> I mean, To the point where when he was trying to explain it to Lamar Jackson, his quarterback – Lamar looked at him like, what? No, dude. And then Lamar was You're asked about it. Yeah, he was asked too about it in his postgame. He goes, that was one of the worst celebrations I've ever seen. The <laughs> second one, you know, the, the penalty kick sock, goalie style, soccer style, that was hilarious on Zay Flowers' second touchdown, which, mm-hmm. by the way, covered the number. That was funny. That was, that was a good one. The, the bouquet a lot of pressure of on these guys, though, to always have to come awful. up with – with uh, zany celebrations now. <laughs> I mean, but, but Lamar... That also don't get penalized, dest- by the way, but yeah. entertain us all. But Lamar destroying his rookie wide-eye going, that was one of the worst celebrations I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> I mean, it, and he, he was spot on. But Baltimore right now, they're playing great ball. And mm-hmm. right now they, they hold the best record in the AFC. So guess what? They're the best team in the AFC. Simple. 
So you had all four division leaders, right, sharing the spotlight there over the weekend where the Dolphins 8-3 and three after Thanksgiving, Black Friday win there over the New York Jets. The Jags 8-3 and three after Sunday 1 o'clock slot. The Chiefs 8-3 and three after Sunday's 4 o'clock slot. And then the Ravens 9-3 and three after Sunday night football. The Ravens have not had their bye yet. So uh, an interesting situation there with them taking it later in the season than everybody else in terms of the division leaders. But for me, the best team in the AFC. This is a hard one. I, I it's I think I I leaning Baltimore because of the way they've been clicking, because I also expected it to go like this as we entered the season, where I really thought that with this new system there in place, that you were gonna see Lamar Jackson thrive, which you absolutely have, that you were going to see Zay Flowers. You kept telling me how electric this kid was coming out of college. I even drafted him on my fantasy team. But I believed in the weapons there that you're giving Lamar Jackson. If Lamar Jackson can stay healthy through the entire season, which is not something we're accustomed to seeing Lamar Jackson do, but I felt like with Munkin system there in place that the Ravens, it's going to take a second to adjust to a new system offensively, right? But that they were going to be pretty electric in the second half of the season. And that's what we've seen so far from Baltimore. So for, for me, that feels like it's going according to plan. The Chiefs, I think, are an interesting conversation, though, because I just feel comfortable calling the Chiefs the best team in the AFC. Like, does that make sense, Ian? Yeah, well, Because sure it, it mean, just feels like smart it. money for me because of history, right? Like, it's it's one of those things, like, you know, you're a fool to have bet against, you know, during the Patriots dynasty, right? That whole thing. It's like any time that you thought some other team was creeping up on them. What a fool we were to think that anybody had Tom Brady's number at any time. That's what it feels like a little bit with this Patrick Mahomes-led team. Yeah, look, they're, they're the two seed right now, and they're a half game back behind Baltimore. The only reason – and remember, I think Baltimore did something that was very risky, but it's paid off. They did not – they opted not to take their bye week after they played the Titans in London on October 15th. They went and played the next week. They get their bye week now. That was that – was a, that's a risky proposition to go and do, and right. they rolled the bones and – they have found a way to make it work. So now, coming after Thanksgiving, you get a buy, you get fresh legs for what Bill Polian used to describe to us as the dash for cash, meaning the playoff push. You know, for you know playoff bonus checks, every player, every coach gets them. You know, so that was a gutsy, risky call to not take a buy after going overseas, and Baltimore has made it pay off. I'm, when I saw that, when the moment, I'm like, man, what in the hell are you thinking? And guess what? It's paid off right now. So I think Baltimore is the best team in the AFC with Kansas City right behind him. And, oh, by the way, Justin Fields has started this game on Monday Night Football 7-7. Seven of seven. He's mm-hmm. got 38 yards, and he just had a play on, his, on Minnesota's 45-yard line where he gets pressure right up the gut avoids not one but two sacks, rolls to his left, stops on a dime, and then fires a perfect strike for a first down to keep this drive alive. That's the Justin Fields when he's healthy that I love watching play. Then he gets sacked on the next play. That's also the story of the Chicago <laughs> Bears O-line. That's not necessarily Justin Fields' fault uh, that – that uh, was, oh my God, that rush came Johnson. immediately. Roshan they're showing Johnson. the yeah, the, they're, they're showing block. the replay right now. Ooh. Yeah, that 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 rush came immediately. Uh, he did not have much time at all to make those decisions.
So going back, though, to the picture here in the AFC for a moment, I mean, I tend to agree that those two teams may be at the top, but also Jacksonville looks impressive here as the season rolls on. Miami still looks incredibly impressive as well, and I know that there's this whole narrative out there that they can't beat the good teams or whatever nonsense people want to say. They've destroyed the teams that they're supposed to take care of business against. I don't care who you're playing in the NFL. Those dudes are getting paid. They're on Scully too. Right. You win games on Sundays, you know, you're getting something done. So I, I don't uh, that 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 whole narrative. Uh, you know, I, I hike my leg on that like a dog on a fire hydrant. But think about this: the, the AFC goes ten deep, and I wouldn't be surprised if anybody from the tenth seed right now in Buffalo to the fifth seed in Pittsburgh is in or out. I mean, I think the top four are pretty solid in Baltimore, Kansas City, Jacksonville, and then Miami. The next three spots, that's going to be just a bludgeoning to figure out who's going to be in there. Yeah, that includes Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Indy, Houston, Denver, and Buffalo. Uh, It is a weird, weird game, this NFL, where the Denver Broncos are now... In the hunt in terms of the postseason (laughs) after starting one and five. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, one less hot seat in the NFL after the Panthers decided to part ways with Frank Reich. We'll talk about it next. Amber and Ian's on ESPN Radio. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. 1 in 10 Carolina has fired Frank Reich. And this is a move to make Bryce Young a better quarterback for the remainder of the season. David Tepper did not feel like he was getting that type of performance out of Frank Reich, who looked like he lacked some energy and looked disinterested in being there. It is as bad as you can imagine in Carolina, and there's not a whole lot of opportunity that they have for improvement because, again, they don't own their own first-round draft pick. It belongs to the Chicago Bears. The Panthers lost to the Tennessee Titans 17-10 to on Sunday. David Tepper, the owner of the Carolina Panthers, he left the locker room in Nashville, reportedly uttering expletives. And then 24 hours later, he fired head coach Frank Reich. So what's happening in Carolina? Let's bring in some help here on Amber and Ian with the Carolina Panthers conversation for that. We welcome in David Newton, ESPN Panthers reporter. And David, thanks so much for your time. I'm sure you're uh, very busy right now and your phone's been blowing up. Just 11 games into the Frank Reich experience in Carolina as head coach. Why now? Exactly what you said on the introduction. They felt like that Bryce Young was not being developed the way they felt he should be. The offense was totally stagnant. It was almost unwatchable. And they felt for the future, it was inevitable they were going to make a change. But for the future, they needed to go ahead and make a change now and start trying to get Bryce Young turned around and headed in the right direction. So next year, with the new staff and whoever they've got uh, trying to develop him further, will have a head start on what's going on. They just didn't feel like it was going anywhere. That's why they fired Josh McCown, their quarterback coach. That's why they fired Deuce Staley, 
their running backs coach, too, who was part of a stagnant running game. So uh, they got rid of all those pieces. Jim Caldwell now is going to have a heavy say in the development of Bryce Young, kind of like he did during some development of some other quarterbacks like Peyton Manning early in their career. Newt, is the assistant special teams coordinator safe? Well, <laughs> for six games, I would say he's perfectly safe. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons they hired him was that, you know, last year they, they named Steve Wilkes uh, the the head interim head coach, and, and he did so well that the team, all the players, the city of Charlotte, most of the, the fans, they wanted Steve Wilkes to be the next head coach. They almost made it to the playoffs last year after a one-and-four start because Steve Wilkes really took charge of that locker room and had a solid plan and a vision for what he wanted to do. But David Tepper wanted to hire somebody with an offensive mind, so they went in another direction. So, uh, yeah, I uh, I think exactly the reason Tabor's there. He's really a good people person. He's really good at, um, you know, talking in front of the media, so he'll give a good message. But ultimately, he's not going to be a guy that's going to be a threat to, to take over as the head coach of the Carolina Panthers next year. So David Tepper won't have to worry about that all over again. How do, you, how do they expect to correct and try and get Bryce Young on a different track when, look, there's not a lot of playmakers on the on the outside. You've been banged up on the offensive line. What What is a realistic expectation here for the remainder of this season for Bryce Young? Well, one of the things that, that I noticed early in training camp was, you know, when they went to the spread offense with four or five receivers that Frank Wright wants to run, they didn't perform very well in the preseason games, even in some of the practices. And so I look back to last year, I talked to some people that were involved in last year's team, and they admitted that last year's offensive line was a mess when they were going to spread offense that Mad Rule was trying to implement. They only got really good, and, and that's where they made the mistake, I think, the last eight games of the season when you know Steve Wilkes took over. He went to a lot of jumbo sets, two tight ends, everything he could do to do a power running game. They were a good power running team. Uh, their center, uh, he, he was really good at, at, at power blocking. He's just not very good when it comes to doing the things you got to do in a spread offense for pass protection. So you've kind of seen that whole thing from the first eight games last year take, you know, take over this year in the same situation, and it's gotten really bad. I mean, Bryce Young's been sacked 40 times. I think he's uh, – I saw a stat where it's the fifth most for a quarterback – in his first 10 games ever. So, um, again, it all starts up front. So, wherever they bring in, they've got to rebuild this offensive line. That's for sure. David Newton, ESPN Panthers reporter, joining us here on Amber and Ian. Uh, Chris Tabor, who was a special teams coach, he is now the interim head coach. Thomas Brown, the OC, will assume play-calling duties with help from senior assistant Jim Caldwell. Is this Tepper... I guess explain to me, Chris Tabor, in terms of his aspirations. I heard a Panthers reporter say that this is not an individual that actually wants the head coaching job. So is this maybe David Tepper not wanting to find himself in the Steve Wilkes situation again, where that looks like a bad move that he didn't keep the interim head coach? Yeah, that's what I was just saying. Exactly. I don't think that he wants to be in that position again. Um, I mean, bottom line, there's no way they can make the playoffs this year. I mean, uh, the NFC South still could be technically up for grabs because nobody's taking charge. But, um, I, again, I, I just don't see them winning their final six games with the talent they have here to even be a factor in that. And, and I just don't see Chris Tabor wanting to be the head coach uh, of this team moving forward. I mean, it, maybe that changes if he goes off and wins six games in a row. But I, I just don't see that happening. I mean, he's really good around the players. 
Uh, I think he's a perfect fit for an interim coach. He was an interim coach, I believe, in Chicago uh, for for a short while while yep. Jim Nagy was uh, had the had COVID. So yeah, so I mean, I think that was why they moved him. And you're right. I think it's so they don't have to be in that position they were with Steve Wilkes last year. How would you describe Dave Tepper, owner of the of the Carolina Panthers? <laughs> um, well, I was trying to describe him on a sports center earlier tonight, and, and I said, kind of think of Jerry Jones, um, probably a little less involved in the day-to-day operations, um, but a lot less patient. Uh, yeah, he's very involved. He, he wants to control things um, and do it his way. Uh, again, I, he's, he's, I mean, a lot of people have used the word arrogant. And you can see a bit of that in him, too. I think he's been humbled a bit by what happened. I know he was humbled a bit by what happened with Matt Rule and the decision they made there. But, um, yeah, he, he's just yet to prove that, that you know, he's an owner that, that's capable of, of winning in the NFL right now. I mean, what is his record? 30 and 63. He's had six straight losing seasons and not had a winning season at all. So um, just a lot of evidence that says, Maybe as a businessman, he is a you know great. Maybe as an NFL owner, he's not so great. I thought you were going to describe him as patient. <laughs> no, Im- impatient is the, impatient, is the word. Yes, that, that, that is the more fitting word for an owner who I believe has had six head coaches now during his tenureship already. Not a very long one either, by the way. So probably a seventh head coach next season. What is the impact, do you think, on Bryce Young? Because we've seen it before, David, in the NFL where these young quarterbacks come in and then it's like, you know, a new coordinator, new coordinator, new head coach, new coordinator, and it doesn't end up going so well typically for the quarterback. Yeah, and by the way, Tepper's also fired three of his soccer coaches and since 2022, yeah. uh, including this year after the guy made the playoffs. So on wow. to Bryce Young. Yeah, Bryce, I think this is actually going to be good for Bryce. Uh, I, Bryce really liked Frank Reich a lot. Um, their relationship was good. He was okay with the offense, thought he could make it work. He just couldn't do it. But I think bringing in Caldwell to, to kind of oversee that and, and get him more focused on the little thing, I think they're going to work on getting the running game going a little more and, and trying to probably be you know, get some deep shots down there. See, they took very few of with Frank Wright in his offense because he never had time to throw it deep because he's always under pressure. And, and maybe give him some extra protection, things that Frank resisted doing because that's not the offense he wanted to run long term. So I think they'll go more. Uh, it may look a little more conservative, um, but it, I think in the long run it'll be something that'll help Bryce Young because if he can get comfortable back in the pocket um, these last six games, that's going to help him moving forward in the next year because you don't want him to get like you saw with Sam Darnold where he was seeing ghosts, and it almost feels like it was getting close to that. You mentioned Jim Caldwell. Look, my brother was on that staff uh, with, with Caldwell with the Detroit Lions when he led him to the playoffs in two or four years. Would he be a, a legitimate candidate just to step in as a head coach if he still wants to be a head coach? You know, he interviewed for the job last year. He's 68 years old. I just don't see him wanting to be the head coach at this point. Um, I think he... He's enjoying the role he's in right now. If I had talked to him before the season, he seems to really like this role. Uh, so I don't see him going after the head coaching job at this point. Because um, if you got a four-year deal, he's going to be, what, 72 
when he's uh, you know when the end of that contract stuff. So I just I just don't see. It. I think Bryce really needs somebody young and energetic that can help him uh, you know just re-energize things that have just gone south for him. And I, I think a guy like Ben Johnson, who was their number one target, the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions, number one target last year. But then he decided he wanted to stay with the Lions, so he told teams interested in him that he he was not going to go anywhere. But I think that's a, a coach that they'll revisit and see if he's got any interest. I heard Jim Harbaugh uh, might go after the job hard. I, I can't actually see that being a great fit, but we'll see on that. Hold there, on, there are David, lots of others David let me stop you. Can you imagine the material you would have if you had Jim Harbaugh working for David Tepper? <laughs> Well, the one thing that I've been saying is David Tepper's never had anybody to really stand up to him. I think Jim Harbaugh might be the guy that would do that. <laughs> so that could be a good thing from that standpoint. But, you know, at some point we might just hear an explosion over at Bank of America Stadium and it's those two just button heads. Uh, it would certainly make your job uh, all that more interesting, although I think it's already plenty interesting there in Carolina. David Newton, he covers the Panthers for us here at ESPN. Finally here, David, what is the temperature of the fan base there? Are they frustrated with David Tepper as an owner and, and his lack of patience, or did they want this move and they feel like better times are ahead? I think they wanted this move, but you'll, you'll probably find more people feel like that David Tepper is the villain here than, than, than Frank Wright. Um, in fact, the, a columnist for the Charlotte Observer wrote, said, too bad Tepper can't fire himself because he feels like that's probably what needs to happen. Um, I just, I just, the fan base, you know, they've already been selling tickets to opposing teams, like, you know, almost giving them away, it seems like. And two games so far this year, Dallas and Minnesota, it felt like a home game for the visiting team. Uh, when that happened last year against the 49ers in Bank of America Stadium, uh, David Tepper immediately fired Matt Rule the next week. So, um, But I, I think the fans are just – I mean, they were two years after Tepper took over the team. They Two years earlier in 2015, they were in the Super Bowl, the NFL best record 15-1. Cam Newton was lighting up the world with the dab. So everybody was happy, and it has just gone total south ever since then. And and most people blame Tepper for it, saying that he's been the reason this organization is failing. I guess he is the consistent one there over those years. David Newton, ESPN Panthers reporter. Thanks, David. Appreciate it, guys. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, we will get to the rest of the big Week 12 NFL storylines that we have not yet gotten to. ESPN Radio is also on the ESPN app. it boy bands rachel i've got it figured out no it is not you have it figured out ian one hit wonders very good ian wonders amber you're terrible at this i'm really bad at this i don't think she's gotten a single one no i'm not a big i don't i'm not a i don't know movie trivia or i mean uh music trivia movie trivia also not my thing by the way music trivia i'm in not my thing music i'm awful like i will hear a song and I, I don't. I couldn't tell you who the hell sang it, but I know that this. I, I could sing along with you, but yeah, this one. It, it took me a good hour and a half, but yeah, it's one hit wonders. Figured there it out. you go. That, that's Rachel's theme for today. I I like music, but I'm not like a Love big. Music. 
I'm not a huge music person. I wouldn't say overall. I listen to sports radio 90% of my life because I am a nerd. And we appreciate all of you nerds also listening to us right now here on Amber and Ian presented to you by Progressive Insurance. All right. So interesting you bring that up. When I'm in the truck driving around town, it's nothing but sports radio. Uh-huh. Whether it's ESPN radio, whether it's, you know, uh, college football channel, on Sirius XM, I'm in. Yes, it, it is It is nonstop sports radio. On a plane, I if I don't have my music, we got problems. Because when I have a fear of flying, I fly every weekend during football season from August all the way to January after the national championship. And if I don't have tunes, we got an issue. Really? I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, big time. The so. only time I ever get anxiety flying is during takeoff. And I don't really get it anymore, but I did used to listen to music during takeoff. Like that would be the one time for me, it dissipates the imme- the second I'm like 10,000 nope. feet, then I'm good to go. I once I, it. once I know that we're, that we're up at 10,000, I'm like, all right, we're good. We're, we're going up. Uh, so, so that's <laughs> we're, when we're the, going, and there's no going, going back up. now, right? We're committed, we're good. right? We're, we're good. Like, <laughs> this thing, this thing's headed the right direction. We're like the pig for confident. breakfast, right? The bacon and sausage. You're committed, right? And yep. so at 10,000 like, feet, ain't no going back. I yeah, get it. I hear you. Right when you hear the ding you know the ding that's letting the flight attendants know that we hit the ten thousand feet i'm like all right cool all right we're good to go i heard the ding we're good to go so i did used to listen to music during that period of time so i do understand the music probably being better for anxiety but i am a huge sports podcast person when i'm on airplanes and that's typically what i'm firing up that's my excuse for being bad at this game that rachel's always playing the show within the show here on amber and ian you can find him at ian fitz espn you can find me as well at amber w sports let's hurry up the football season never ends with Amber and Ian. Turn it up and down. Turn it up and down. This is the Harry Up. Chiefs 31, Raiders 17. Of course, James Steele would lead things off here on the Hurry Up with the Chiefs. What do you want? The, I'm trying to watch Raw Chiefs. over here. What's going on? What are you complaining about? Also, James had <laughs> on our list to of topics... Raw. For Herm Edward, our list of suggested topics we had on the coach earlier in the show. If you missed anything here, check out the podcast on the ESPN app. But James had on suggested topics, Chiefs offense. Chiefs really figured out the offense. Clicking on all cylinders, these Chiefs. As they beat beat a a coachless less Raiders team. (laughs) How many points did the Dolphins score on the Raiders? All right. Again, exactly. a coachless Let's le- go. it's the Raiders. Fine. All right. 31-17. The Chiefs, uh, they looked good. Patrick Mahomes, 298 yards, a couple tutties. He was 27 of 34. We've seen the Chiefs do this before, but sure, good win there for the Chiefs. Focus group of one. I was sweating this one because I had Chiefs minus nine, and they were down seven zip. I'm like, that's going to be a tough number to overcome. 16 points on the road. Impressed with the way they did it. I mean, in the second half, they actually scored points, 17 of them. Rasheed Rice, the pride of SMU, who goes for, hey, by the way, when he goes to Burger House, that's a triple-double-double. That's meaning three slices of meat, three slices of cheese. I mean, I, I, let's go. That's varsity style. Anyway, that's a SMU staple, by the way, right off campus. He was a beast. Eight catches, ten targets, over 100 yards on a touchdown. Keep targeting the man from SMU. He will make plays for you. I love, I love Rasheed Rice. Moving on. Play. Broncos 29. Rounds 12. All right, let's talk about a game that was a bit more interesting because what the Denver Broncos are doing 
It's really remarkable. I, it, starting out one in five, letting the Dolphins hang 70 on you, and then using that as motivation. That doesn't break your spirit. That motivates you. You go 5-0 and oh the rest of the way so far. You beat a Cleveland Browns team that, yes, Dorian Thompson Robinson goes down with what looks like a concussion in that game. We'll see if DTR can go this next week and obviously don't even have their starting quarterback. But that defense for Cleveland is legit, although big injury there. But that defense for Cleveland has been legit all season for the Broncos to hang 29 and get this win. It's still a really good win for Denver. Yeah, and Russell Wilson didn't play great ball, but he played well enough. 13 of 22 for a buck 34. That's it. One touchdown, but most importantly, no picks. They won five straight. They are now ahead of the Buffalo Bills in the AFC playoff standings. And that Denver defense does not give, get enough credit. They forced three turnovers. Three. They're playing great ball right now. I and mean, it may not be pretty to watch, but it's effective. And Sean Payton has them believing. And he and Russell Wilson finally got on the same page. Watch out for Denver, man. The donkeys are playing ball. So we will see what happens also with Miles Garrett, though. Miles Garrett reportedly heard a pop on his shoulder, just yeah. trying to even put on a shirt. He was struggling. I mean, you can make an argument. Miles Garrett's been the best player uh, in the NFL this season. Yeah. You could make that yeah, argument. And yeah, and and Stephen, Kevin Stefanski is saying that Miles Garrett's shoulder scan showed no structural damage; that he's just sore despite hearing a pop. So that excellent news for Cleveland Browns fans. Let's move along. Giants 10, Patriots 7. Well, things got <laughs> even uglier for the New England Patriots. And things got more Italian there for the New York Giants. I mean, 10 to 7. You probably couldn't have paid me to watch the end of this game. 10 to 7, Ian. 10 yeah, to 7. Uh, but brutal. these, I mean, Mac brutal. Jones, obviously, benched again, you know, where Bill says, oh, I, I always intended to play both quarterbacks. I intended to scenery. do this. Change the scenery for I, I Mac mean, Jones. Come on. He, uh, and then get out of there. Tommy DeVito, another win. Yep. Get out of there. And Tommy DeVito's dad is the MVP of this game. That <laughs> big dude cigar. is awesome. If you don't know what we're talking about, go Google. He's amazing. The DeVito family in general. I mean, oh. they are making this Giants experience all that much more fun. And then they're doing, like, the Italian hand is now, that's hey. becoming the celebration. Hey, DeVito. Hey, hey Tommy. Tommy's out there balling. Hey. Hey. So he is out there uh, doing at least what he needs to do in order to get the dubs there for the New York Giants. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, we will talk to one of my all-time favorite Gators, an absolute legend. That's next.